Well, hey, welcome to California Haunts Radio. How's everybody doing tonight? I hope you're doing as good as I am. I've had a great day, and I'm looking forward to a great show. My name is Charlotte. I will be your host for the next hour, and I have a great guest tonight. Um, this, this, this young lady has been on my show before when I was over at Blog Talk Radio, and I was really excited to get her back because she's got a whole new angle on, on a subject that we're all really, really interested in right now, and that is aliens and UFO abduction, alien abductions. Um, you know, you always think about adults that get abducted and what happens to them. You know, you never really think about the children. And Barbara, sure enough, did some regression on some children, and she got some really interesting stories from them, and she has written a book, and we're going to be talking about that tonight. In the meantime, this is California Haunts Radio. You can find us at www.californiahauntsradio.com. And I'm also the owner and operator of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. www.californiahaunts.org. It's a lot of .org, but, you know, a lot of .orgs and stuff. And we are 35 strong up and down the state of California. And we also have teams in Oregon, Washington, and Hawaii. So we, so we get around. And Nevada, yes. So we get around. Anyway, I want to uh, say hello, welcome, and I'm really excited to have you all here. Uh, and without further ado, let's get our guest going here, okay? Hello. Hello, Charlotte. Nice it has been a long time. I know. Nice to be with you again. <laughs> yes, a it is. Happened. A lot yes. has happened since we last talked. And I've learned so much more about the whole extraterrestrial phenomenon and particularly how it affects people. That, that has been my main interest as a therapist of uh, mm -hmm. helping people to um, cope with those experiences, which of course are very unusual, and also mm -hmm. um, helping people to remember the details of their extraterrestrial encounters uh, by doing hypnotic regressions with them. So I've been doing that work, the regressions with what I call experiencers, rather right. than calling them abductees. Um, I've been doing this since uh, 1991. And so it's been a lot of people, I've, I've done well over 4,000 regressions to specifically uh, people's encounters with extraterrestrial beings. And in addition to that, um, I have conducted a lot of what I've called experiencer support groups. In other words, these are groups of people uh, who 
gather together people who've had these encounters with the other beings. And um, they, they sometimes, some of them want to share what they're aware of because they've been very, very impressive, very impactful uh, encounters. I mean, it's really, really affected them in various ways. And some, some of them come to these groups because they remember a little tiny bit of something that they think might have been an extraterrestrial encounter experience. And then there are people who come to the groups too, who are just, for whatever reason, are extremely interested in learning more about the beings in those ships that we see flying around, that, mm -hmm. which we call UFOs or UAPs now, it's the right. Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And, um, but what we, we are talking about is uh, the ships that these beings fly in and come mm -hmm. to Earth in. So this, you mentioned that um, this is a good time to be talking about this. And absolutely, I completely agree because uh, we, you know, know that the Senate was given a very important report recently uh, toward the end of June. And that had uh, material that was shared with the public about these unidentified aerial phenomena, these mm -hmm. unusual crafts uh, flying around in the sky. And then we know also that there is a classified version, edition of, okay. of that document, which we in the public don't get to see. But anyway, it's uh, come upon the public attention more just lately, I'd say in the last six months, uh, than the whole subject of UFOs had come before that. So That's this right. is great. And along with this, I would like to mention that a wonderful woman named Mary Edwards and I have written and published a, a book. I'm going to show it right now. Here we go. Ready? I, I'm ahead of you. Check this out. Okay. I'm way ahead of you. Look. Oh, there you go. Good. See that? I'm way ahead of you. Thank you. And so uh, this is called Kids Adventures with E.T. Friends in Space. And we wrote this book because we wanted children to know if they have the good fortune to uh, read this book or, or look at the pictures, we wanted them to have their own experiences validated. That is, uh, those children who've had uh, visitors come into their room at night or take them away during the day and, um, and they don't understand what these experiences are, of mm -hmm. course. And so often uh, the children report these things to their parents the next morning. And the parents typically say, oh, that must have been your imagination, or it must have been a vivid dream, or oh, it must have been your imaginary friend. And that sort of shuts down the child mm -hmm. from talking about it further. And that's a real disadvantage because when anything really 
unusual and peculiar happens to any of us, we really benefit by talking about it. And um, but they, the kids very often don't really have anybody, including in their own family, to talk to about these unusual experiences. So we wrote this book, E.T. Friends in Space, uh, so that a parent could sit down with a child and go through the pictures and read the captions about these different kinds of experiences that kids really have and to open up the conversation with their kids. So it might be a grandparent or a babysitter or an older sibling or a parent who would share the book with the children and with whoever it is. It can really do a lot to open up the conversations between the child and that person. And another thing that we realized of great benefit is that Many adults have become adults, whatever age they are, when I get to have the privilege of working with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they may not realize it, but they have had experiences with these extraterrestrial beings when they were children. And when they see certain pictures in the book, um, they... Uh, think, oh my goodness, I remember that. I had that happen. Or I, yeah, I was with a being that looked like that. Or yeah, I was healed when lying on a table in a strange place, a round room that I don't know from home. And uh, and these unusual beings were there. And yeah, I, I remember I, I really got healed of a bad sickness one time with these unusual beings. And in other words, uh, they'll remember certain specific experiences that will get triggered by looking at the pictures in this book and reading the captions. So uh, it's a real good way to open up uh, talking discussions about these kinds of experiences for the adults who in most cases uh, that I know about, um, adults who are having occasional visits with extraterrestrials, mm -hmm. they began having those experiences when they were children, you know, really little children. And Mary, I want to say a word about her too, because uh, she's really a very interesting person. And even though um, these scenarios in the book are all from my real life regression work. They're mm -hmm. all true accounts. But Mary also herself um, is an experiencer of extraterrestrial contact from early childhood. And she has found out in her adult life that she is an ET human hybrid, a subject wow. that I had really gotten into in mm -hmm. great detail and, and now she knows that she is a hybrid and has various species of DNA mixed in her. She looks like a regular human, and uh, but this is true of the hybrids I know. And she also found out that she has seven hybrid children. 
and five of those hybrid children live on Earth, um, in a couple in China and some in South America. And then more recently, she found out that she has two hybrid children living on one of the Pleiades planets. And she would love to meet the ones on Earth uh, because they do have her genetics and extraterrestrial genetics. And apparently they are human enough in functioning and, and in appearance uh, that they can be here. They can live here on Earth. And they're doing some um, very interesting, intelligent work. Uh, these hybrid children are now, um, in each case, they're young adults. So they're functioning in uh, careers. And Mary also grew up in a space-oriented family. Uh, her father was a rocket scientist and was often away uh, doing projects that he could not speak about, mm -hmm. they could only guess about. She certainly wondered, but she knew he was involved very heavily in the space industry. And, and she realized that her grandfather also had participated in the space industry as a rocket scientist. So she herself um, always wanted to be an astronaut. And when she was eight years old, she actually wrote a letter to NASA and asked to be considered for their astronaut program. She wanted to be the first woman astronaut. Nice. And <laughs> of course, with her being eight years old, they did not accept her as a candidate, <laughs> but it just shows how much she really wanted to be out in space and, and just thought that, you know, all human children should know more about space. And then when we met, uh, we, and I, I suddenly said, gee, you know, you're interested in educating children about space and we ought to educate them about experiences that many of them have with children, with uh, extraterrestrials. So that's why we combine uh, to do this work. Uh, so anyway, it, it's a wonderful gift to people. And I have found that even adults who do not think they have had experiences mm -hmm. or they don't even have children, where they have children whom they, who've never talked about these things, it's still an opener for the whole subject and gets people kind of communicating together about these things. So, so that is... It's really nice, and so it's validating experiences that have really happened and educating mm -hmm. other people who've not had these experiences and in many cases have never known very much about it or even anything about it. And so we are sort of, in a larger sense, trying to contribute to preparing humanity for of awareness of the other beings. And of course, we, we do know that many of them do come and are seen and videotaped and photographed in their wonderful crafts of many different types, their spaceships. And um, it, it is predicted, we will see, but it is predicted that more or more beings will be showing themselves to people on Earth 
as people on Earth uh, become more aware of this whole phenomenon. So there we are with the book, E.T. Friends in Space. It's on Amazon. And um, it's a very delightful book to have. Uh, and every picture, every scenario is based on a real account, a real experience that real people have had uh, that I have found the details of through the hypnotic regression work. And also, uh, in a few cases, talking to children without the regressions if they're very young, uh, mm -hmm. but a lot of them will remember an astonishing amount of details about being on the UFO with these unusual beings. And um, any of them remember quite a bit about what happened. Uh, so let's kind of begin where a child is aware that okay. something unusual is happening. Uh, Can I ask you one thing real quick? Not to interrupt. <laughs> you know, I'm astounded by this because you know, growing up and you know all the all the all the all the all the abduction all the abduction stories and everything, you've never heard of children being taken. Right. And yeah. that's why when when I heard about this book, I was like, wow, this is Good. incredible. Good for you. Yes, I I I know I have many friends around the world who um, do this kind of work that I do, the regression therapy work. Uh, with people who have these experiences, but it's very, very rare that I have heard them mention the children. And yet, most people who experience these connections with the ETs, that they began having these experiences when they were children. So very typically, um, a child will wake up at night in the child's room and we'll see indications of something that kind of intrigues them. They don't know what it is, but they will describe uh, seeing fairies in the room, or they might describe one of the beings as a little monster, not a great big monster, but a little monster, where they'll sometimes see little sparkles of light um, in the room, sort of swirling around the room. And it has even been seen on several occasions by several children that the sparkles of light will eventually, after a few minutes, sort of gather together in what looks like a ball of light, hmm. like an orb. And then out of that orb will step a small extraterrestrial being who is there to visit the child. We don't know how they do that. They, they have so many methods that are way beyond what we're able to do and beyond their comprehension. Uh, but that is one of the things reported by various people. And other children will wake up and see little balls of light, little orbs flying around the room then eventually realize that there are beings there. Or they'll wake up and they'll see a very bright light right outside the window, or a beam of light coming in through the window. And of course, this 
these things really get their attention. They mm -hmm. wake up sometimes, they'll sit right up like, what's that? And um, gets to be quite intriguing. Or sometimes they will um, describe these little phenomena uh, going on in the room as fireflies or uh, one lady, one client, I regressed when she was an adult, but we had a regression back to one of her childhood experiences. And she, as a child, she would see these, what she called little woodgies, you know, up by the ceiling, uh, the, where the wall meets the ceiling, all around the room. She'd see these little, like little lights, but mm -hmm. she called them woodgies. She felt that somehow they were alive. And then eventually she'd realized that she didn't see the woodgies anymore, but she saw typically three extraterrestrial beings there who were there to escort her out of the room and you know through the wall or through the closed window up in a beam of light and into a UFO. Uh, some people describe the beings in their room as little men. They'll talk about the little old man who came to their room. It was really an extraterrestrial, but you see, they, they don't really know who they are mm -hmm. and often their parents don't know who they are or what they are. So they just make up their own names for them. Or sometimes they uh, refer to the ET visitors as their space friends. Uh, sometimes, and this happens quite often, um, a child will talk about one of these beings coming out of the closet in their room. And we don't know why, but even adults, some of them will remember that when they were children, they'd be aware of one of these beings coming out of the closet and then um, over to their bed. So some of us have wondered if the closet might be some sort of portal that they come through. We, we really don't know the answer to that. Or maybe they just don't want to materialize in front of the kid and scare them. Maybe. That, that could be. So maybe they come to the room and then go into the closet mm -hmm. and then out of the closet when they sense that the child is awake enough to see them. That, that's a very good point. Um, what I'm hearing, well, what I'm hearing too is that it's not, it's not the reptilians. It's, it's, it's not the ones that are scary that are coming for, to see these kids. Well, that, yeah, that can it's, be it's true. More, it's more pleasant ones or, or they're disguising themselves. Right. Although I must hasten to say that um, some people, including myself, mm -hmm. uh, report that some of the reptilians are really, really nice. They're friendly. They feel very safe. Um, I think the typical viewpoint of a reptilian is that they're big and fierce and scary and yeah. arrogant and dominating. And some of them are, according mm -hmm. to the people who've experienced them. But it seems like there must be different species, various species of reptilians. And some of them are really friendly and safe and benign and, and nice, nice to be with. Uh, so it would be that type of reptilian, I think, that would come to. I don't, know, I don't 
Yeah, I don't know about you. I mean, if I've got a, even as an adult, if I've got a, if I've got a seven foot tall gra- um, praying mantis standing over my bed, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Well, yes, and and absolutely, and you can really appreciate why a lot of people, children, teenagers, adults, um, are you know experience a lot of fear, mm-hmm. and we do fear a new thing that we just don't understand. Right. You know, something that whatever whatever it is, we you know we feel really hesitant, and um, so especially when they seem to be a living being who's there in your room at night. I mean, you're not supposed to have somebody in your room and you wake up, you're, you're half asleep and, and you know, it's really startling. Uh, so uh, we can certainly appreciate people's fear. So having these experiences on the part of children, um, they don't always happen in the bedroom at night, although very okay. frequently they do. And, and for sure, uh, some kids sort of welcome them as their friends, their little companions. Of course. And it's okay. But there are many children, other children, who are just scared to death. And a very typical thing I've heard from so many people, whether they're children when I talk to them or they're adults mm-hmm. who had had these experiences, they'll pull up the covers, pull up the sheet and the blankets over their head as if to hide from the being they feel very unsure about. Mm-hmm. And of course it doesn't stop anything, it doesn't hide them really, but but that seems to be an instinct that we people often do. Oh, well, if they don't see me, then nothing will happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but a, a child, I've known children who um, have been picked up by the extraterrestrials mm-hmm. on their way home from school, walking home from school. And usually a child who is walking home from school is expected to be home at a reasonable time. Right. And um, the parents expected or whoever is there in the home to greet them. So when a child is walking home and is suddenly whisked away Uh, by a being into a spaceship and doesn't show up for a couple of hours more than the usual walking home time, Mm -hmm. they they often get in trouble when they get home because the parents say, well, why did you take so long? Where did you go? And the child typically doesn't remember. They don't remember the uh, being approaching them or taking up in the air taken into a UFO. And so they don't have a good answer. And that, that's been a problem for ch- some children. So I wouldn't say that the experience itself was necessarily a problem for the child, mm-hmm. but getting home a couple of hours late and not being able to explain it, that, that can be a problem for the child. And also I, I know of children who have been out playing in their own backyard and, uh, you know, just innocently. And they might be playing by themselves or they might be playing with a friend or two. Mm-hmm. And a being comes and takes them away and uh, onto a spaceship and they have an hour or two 
experience there, and then they are returned typically to the same place that they were taken from. And in the meantime, if there were other children playing with that child who was taken, uh, those other children are what we call switched off. That is, they're made to be completely unaware as if they suddenly went into a very, very deep sleep. So they are not harmed in any way. Um, they are just made to not be aware until the child is brought back. And then the child sort of snaps back into awake consciousness and the playmates come back into awake consciousness. And very often, if they're children, they don't have awareness, particularly of the passage of time mm -hmm. while that was happening. Uh, but anyway, uh, unless it suddenly is dark from having been a sunny afternoon, and uh, they think, oh, wow, that time went really quickly. And some children have even been taken from a birthday party. In other words, for the, for the whole group of children and the door will open and in come typically three little beings and, and they will make everybody, including the one who is going to be taken, they'll make everyone switched off. So if someone is about to eat a bite of birthday cake, they'll just sort of be frozen in that position. Wow. Or somebody is, is picking up a glass of fruit punch, let's say, they will be frozen in that position during the duration of the, the child, the experiencer child, being on the ship with the beings. And then when the child is brought back, the person continues to eat the bite of cake or drink whatever was in the glass, and the party goes on. So that's true for the adults at the party, too. It's like and the then, movie Click. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, there's the missing time. People, right. um, they might not have thought anything about it. They might not have had any clue that anything like that had happened, except that the clock shows that time had passed, an hour, hour and a half, or sometimes two hours wow. had passed. And they begin to wonder why. So some children are actually taken from the play yard at school Mm -hmm. during school recess, or I know of one child who was actually taken from the classroom, picked right up from his desk, and the rest of the class was switched off, including the teacher, didn't know that this was happening. I mean, really quite amazing what these beings can do. And I know a child who was taken while playing on a beach by the ocean with the parents right nearby, and plenty of other people on the beach, and they were all made unaware while this one particular child was taken. And then we have uh, situations too, uh, quite a number of them actually, where a whole family was taken together at the same time to the same ship for the same experience. So I have regressed parents who have been in a big, big room um, on board the spaceship. And they will, their 
on a table, lying on a table, and they'll look around and they'll see it's a really, really big room with many other tables. And on some of those tables are the spouse, and on another table there will be one of the children, mm-hmm. on another table there'll be another children, and on um, other uh, tables there are other adults whom they don't know, um, adults or children who've been taken from Earth. And there are various things. Usually that's along the line of uh, physical abductions. And I mean, uh, physical examinations. Mm-hmm. It is what we can call an abduction. I prefer to call them experiences because many of those experiences are very positive for the person having them. So that's why I tend to use the word experience rather than abduction. Abduction certainly gives the impression that it's a horrible, fearful, terrible experience. And some people do experience these encounters that way. But so many people I've talked to, and particularly those I've regressed, including children, uh, have had very positive experiences on board these spaceships. And many, many of them uh, have been healed. Some of them uh, have realized that from early childhood, they had a relationship with a particular, one particular extraterrestrial on the ship. Like one uh, woman I knew uh, was taken from her earliest days that she could remember um, by a reptilian man who was very tall, had odd skin and very odd feet from her point of view, but was such a really nice guy. And he seemed like a a very loving, friendly uncle sort of person to her. So he would take her into his room, he called them his quarters on the UFO, and they would sit on very low couches and he would read stories to her uh, like a, a father or an uncle uh-huh. would hear and play simple games with her. And that went on through her whole childhood. And then uh, as she began to mature um, as a young teenager, um, he still uh, was active with her, but um, in a different way, more of a romantic uh, sexual way. And it turned out over a period of years that they had two hybrid children, which she eventually met when she was in her 50s. And she did a regression to that meeting of the two hybrid sons. And she was so proud of them. Now, they looked, being hybrid, part human and part extraterrestrial, they, they had the kind of build, uh, body form, upright, uh, two legs, two arms, uh, the body form of a human, but the skin was a different texture, more like ours than like reptilian, but still had differences from ours. And, um, and their hair 
started in the middle of the head and went back like a long ponytail, but the sides of the head were bald. Uh, and they had eyes that looked reasonably like our shape and size mm -hmm. of eyes, but instead of the round pupils and um, round irises, they had vertical slits that one of the reptilian features. But anyway, um, so some of these people, starting at early childhood, have been able to remember over a period of time and doing various regressions that they had one being that they seem to have a special relationship with. So we, we wonder about family lines mm -hmm. among the humans. Um, I think it's quite well known that uh, some of these beings seem to follow a genetic line within a family. So you have a great grandparent who had these encounters and then the grandparent and then the parent and then the child, in other words, three or four or five uh, generations in a row. So when there's one experiencer in a family, it probably means that there's somebody else in the family. With, with any of the people I've worked with, and, and I've gotten them to really think about that. Like, is there anybody else who's giving any indication <clears throat> in their family that they're having these experiences? And usually when they start talking to their family members, they realize that, yeah, there is one. It might be in their generation or in the generation above or below them. Mm -hmm. So it does seem to run in family lines. Whether whether it does in every case in the world, I don't know. By the way, this is a worldwide phenomenon mm -hmm. that uh, people are having these encounters with the extraterrestrial being. So these children report very interesting things uh, happening when they're on the UFO. So I'd like to mention a few of those. Sure. Uh, sometimes when they're quite young, it seems like for a few visits, maybe at age three and then five and then seven, that they are taken just simply to get acquainted with the beings and acquainted with the spaceship. So I've worked with children who have described, you know, being taken there and then either escorted around in the spaceship by two or three of the extraterrestrial beings. Or if they're a little bit older, like age five, six, seven, the, the beings will just say, okay, go ahead, have a look around, go wherever you wish. So typically the child will walk along a curved hallway. I have never yet heard of a hallway on a UFO that is not curved. Mm. <laughs> so they walk along a curved hallway and that's different. And sometimes the hallway will have a, an, like an open grating on the floor, an open grate. 
and they can look down through the floor and see other rooms below. And uh, very often the child is told, as you're walking down the hall, don't touch the walls. And the walls seem to be, according to the child, seem to be somehow breathing or living. I mean, we don't have anything like that here that I know of on Earth. But several people have reported that when they were children, they were told not to touch the walls of the hallway and that the walls seem to be, in some cases, um, lighted, like emanating, emitting light from within the wall. It sounds very pretty. Uh, sometimes there are a light blue or a light turquoise or something, or maybe white. Um, but the children, because these walls really seem so different, Mm -hmm. They've been definitely told, no, don't touch the walls. They they don't. So I have no idea what they feel like because they've, they've behaved. They've followed instructions like that. And then they can sometimes just walk into other rooms. Sometimes they're small rooms. Sometimes they're very large. Sometimes they're almost like a big gallery. And... Um, and sometimes they'll see in one room, they'll see other people looking very, very sleepy, even maybe actually asleep, uh, sitting on benches uh, as, as if waiting for something. And it seems like they are waiting to have some sort of physical examination, probably. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they will see that and, and not quite understand, uh, you know, what those people are there for, or even what they are there for. It just sort of unfolds as the experience goes along. And sometimes they will see other people lying on hard tables, kind of like our medical examining tables, they appear to be. And there'll be uh, various types of beings around the various tables doing some sort of work on those people and it seems to be pretty consistent from the children's uh, experiences and the adults experiences that around any one of these tables there's a variety of beings in other words they're not all mantis beings they're not all right. short gray beings uh, it, it always so far seems that in the many, many regressions I've done, uh, it seems to be a variety of beings who are of different species, clearly, and they are working together. And you had mentioned the mantis beings right. a little while back here. And um, very often, the mantis being seems to be watching the procedures that are going on on one of these medical tables, uh, they're watching from, oh, maybe 10 or 15 feet away or closer. Like they're sort of, they seem to be sort of the supervisors. And in some cases they're called over to the table by the other beings as we would in a hospital 
uh, see a doctor calling over another doctor who might be a specialist in that mm -hmm. particular condition of that patient. So uh, they seem to be kind of in charge and, and uh, more knowledgeable uh, than the others. And sometimes the children are confused because not only will they see a whole variety of different looking beings that they never see on earth, mm -hmm. usually never even see pictures of. And uh, so from their earth life, they just don't know about them. Uh, but sometimes they'll see beings that look just like people. And so I've had uh, people I've worked with who will be on a spaceship and they'll feel reassured. Oh, in addition to all these unusual looking beings, over there I see a couple of people. I wonder, I wonder why they're here. But they seem to be up and functioning. And then as time goes on in that experience, they will look more closely and realize, oh, that isn't really totally a person. In other words, it's a hybrid right. who is uh, combined with a com combination of extraterrestrials and human. And uh, so those hybrids um, cannot live on Earth uh, because even though they appear to the person from somewhat of a distance to be human, uh, when you get close to them, you realize they, they probably would not really pass for a human if they were here with us. Right. So they seem to be living their lives on the UFOs, uh, assisting uh, this variety of other beings. So I think that's interesting. And children very often are, you know, a little bit puzzled by that. I think I think this is a regular person, but huh, maybe not. Well, so then what is it? <laughs> you know, they don't have names for any of these things or concepts for them at all. So many children get put onto the medical table, and um, people sometimes describe it as being poked, probed, and having little samples have taken of skin and mm -hmm. fluids and hair and so forth. And of course, that is quite a bit like being medically examined here on Earth, except that the doctors look very different. Right. <laughs> and there very often is a female extraterrestrial being by the side of the table. And if the child seems to get confused or scared or feels any discomfort with what's going on, uh, the female extraterrestrial will gently put her arm on the arm or the shoulder of the child lying there on the table, and immediately the child calms down and feels secure, no more fear. They're just sort of open to whatever the experience is and they feel no more pain or discomfort. So this happens for adults too, but I think that it's especially nice when this type of being is there for a child having these 
experiences. So sometimes the child will have a little implant put into the body, a little tiny object. Mm -hmm. And we have many guesses about what those implants are for. And uh, the most common reason that we humans have come up with is that they may be some sort of a tracking device so that the beings can find that child uh, because they're going to work with that child through the, all the growing up years and the sure. adult years. And they want to be able to, um, when it's time for another visit, either more teaching of this person or examination or whatever, they want to be able to easily locate that. But also, um, I've talked to children who feel like they get messages through the implant, especially if the implant is, is put somewhere in the head. And I even had a child say, I feel, every, every once in a while, I feel like somebody else is in my head looking out through my eyes and seeing what I see. And it turns out if that person happens to have an x-ray that there's been an implant put in the head behind the eye. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I, I know a child who says, because he has a, an implant in the forehead, and he says, I can always tell when they're coming tonight because I feel a little tingling in that implant wow. in there. Then I know that tonight I'm going to have another visit. Fortunately, that particular child really liked his space friends and mm -hmm. liked being on the spaceship and thought of them as great adventures. And so that was okay with him. That was perfectly okay that they were going to come that night and give him that hint um, beforehand. So a very notable thing is that many, many children are healed on the spaceship uh, by various types of extraterrestrials. So uh, one of the illustrations that we have in our book um, is of uh, the child being in a tub, like go. a bathtub, but that tub is full of green, thank you, green liquid, and it's considered a healing liquid and so the child just sort of soaks in the tub for a while and then it gets out of the tub and is feeling absolutely fine that whatever was ailing him before um, is, is now uh, completely cured and other times uh, if the child is not feeling well when on the spaceship uh, the child is given a big glass of liquid, which looks like a very dense, dark green liquid. And uh, sometimes they call it green goo. The child will call it green goo because it's not watery. It, it's more of a viscous sort of liquid. But when the child drinks that glass of liquid, um, they, the, the child gets well very, very, very quickly. So that's, that's a wonderful thing. And then sometimes when they're lying on the medical table, uh, they will get healed 
with some mechanism that emits light and they'll be healed uh, like if they've got a scraped knee or a broken bone or a wound or or even something internally uh, going wrong. Um, they will be healed of that completely right then and there on the table. So that's really nice. There are some real advantages for having these experiences that many, many conditions um, have been uh, healed on board the, the ships. So another thing is that these children, and we have information in the book about that too, uh, the children very often have classes on board the spaceship. In other words, they will sit around on the floor, like little children often do, mm -hmm. uh, with maybe a couple of other human children who've been brought there for that experience and some extraterrestrial children and also some hybrid children. So quite a mixture. And then there will be a couple of um, extraterrestrial adults teaching them things. So one of the things that we have this illustrated in the book also uh, is that they are taught to move things with their minds. So they actually can, so they're sitting on the floor in a circle mm -hmm. with the two adult extraterrestrials standing by teachers, guides, and then uh, the, a child will focus his eyesight and his attention on a little object like let's say a small feather very very light in weight sitting on the floor in the middle of this circle of these children and will focus on that until the feather will move across the circle on the floor and then this child is congratulated yay you can do it you can move it with your mind and then another child will have a turn moving the feather across the circle. And you see these children are taken here and there over a period of years. So they get better and better at that kind of skill until when they're slightly somewhat older children, maybe around eight or nine years old, they can sit in the circle and they can move a basketball from where it is on the floor they can not only move it with their minds only, never touching it, right across the circle, and then the, the kid sitting across the circle will move it back or move it around the circle, kind of like dodgeball that we used to play, and um, but without any hands. Yeah. And then uh, they can get to be good enough at this that they can actually not only move the ball across the circle, but move it up in the air and across the circle. Wow. So that, you know, they teleport it. Uh, and, and then they're taught many other psychic skills too. Uh, the whole range of, you know, psychometry and telepathy. They learn to read each other's thoughts and read the thoughts of the extraterrestrials who are already busy reading their thoughts. And that's how a lot of the teaching is done. It's done through telepathy. And, and as they're being taught, they're learning that very rare skill of uh, telepathic communication. So 
that that is is really special. And then sometimes they just simply sit on the floor with uh, hybrid children and play games, simple games, depending on their age. Right. And, and so they develop friendships uh, with these hybrid children. Sometimes they consider them very, very good friends, and they're growing up together. Uh, and of course, developing a little bit differently depending on whether they're a human or a hybrid. But it's really nice, I think, that uh, that that intermixing between species is is happening, and in a very friendly way, very positive way, that they're happy to know each other. And once in a while, um, I've worked with somebody who remembers that there's a particular other human child in that circle on the floor, on the spaceship. In other words, there's a particular child from their own school. Oh, wow. Who they know and they recognize at home. And um, now when they were children, they didn't do anything about that in the, oh. with these people I, I know and have worked with. In other words, they didn't go up to the child and say, hey, remember what we were able to do on the spaceship last night? They don't. They, they don't seem to have anything to do with that child. But then when they're adults and they have worked with me and they remember time after time of being with that particular child, then as adults, they wonder what happened to that child. And wouldn't it be wonderful if there'd be some way to find that child having grown up now an adult and talk about this with that person? So far, I, I don't know of anybody who's found one of those fellow children. Well, you know, maybe this is a way, you know, by doing this and having them work with, with the hybrids and stuff, you know, on the ship. Maybe this is a way that when they finally do come forth or the government, you know, the government literally opens the doors, that it's not going to be as scary for people because you'll have all, all these children that have worked, you know, that, that have been around and grown up. Yes. And especially the children who've really looked into it and been able to talk about it freely, learn more about it, remember more, right. uh, and do regressions. Um, I don't do regressions with children who are under about six years old. Uh, I, I just uh, think it's better if they're six or a bit older. Uh, but it is amazing how much the ones younger than that do consciously remember. Uh, they, they won't remember the whole linear sequence right. of events necessarily, but they'll remember certain items like walking down the hallway or being on the table or being in the circle of friends on the floor and, you know, they'll, they'll remember certain things like that. Now, there are also children who get taken to a special school at night on Earth. Um, really? In other words, they'll wake up in the middle of the night and have the strongest urge, which they cannot seem to resist, to go outside and get on their bicycle, if they're old enough to ride a bicycle, mm -hmm and ride to a particular place. And often that place is in the woods if they happen to live near the woods or in a woodsy area. 
and in the woods there's a clearing and some lights in there that they see that there are some of these extraterrestrial beings and other earth children again a, a classroom sort of situation and in that school like situation uh, they're taught many many things not necessarily the skills as right. they're taught but it's more like they're taught certain information and a perspective about the other species and about the other planets and about all the interest that there is on the part of those beings on planet earth and they'll learn quite a bit about some of our unique features that we take for granted but but we're the only planet in the whole cosmos that has many of these features for instance uh, one child i know was taught by an extraterrestrial being that planet earth has more species and subspecies and sub subspecies than all of the other planets in the whole cosmos combined wow we on this one planet have more and that's one of the reasons one of many reasons why a lot of these extraterrestrial beings are so interested in planet earth and then they also are very interested in us people as human beings and many of them say that that's because long ago they had a great influence in creating us human beings as we are and there are many different perspectives on this such as the anunnaki in ancient sumeria who apparently came and did a lot of dna work and created human beings from um, earlier life forms and and with some of their genetic material as well uh anyway so there are loads of reasons for these other beings to be so interested in planet earth and then of course our natural resources are so abundant here probably more than on any other planet mm -hmm. and, um they're very intrigued with our appreciation of beauty and music anything harmonious and and beautiful and uh, it was pointed out by one being that we human beings plant trees for many reasons but one of the main reasons is because a tree looks so nice in our yard it's a very handsome feature and um and in our gardens and so forth that we'll we'll have a tree but from their point of view a tree is more like a telephone pole would be in that it's only utilitarian because they don't really get into the subject of a visual beauty as mm -hmm. much as we do uh so they would plant a tree because it helps with the purifying of the air and the oxygen and so forth that would help the beings mm -hmm. uh and and we we appreciate trees for that reason as well but we also plant trees in various places just simply because we like to look at them 
Okay. We think of them as beautiful. <laughs> so anyway, uh, many different perspectives that that they have on us. Oh, I'd like to mention too that some children in the experiences they have with these beings are taught to fly the spaceship. Really? Yeah. And um, so different children seem to be taught in different ways. And one of them, uh, we did over a period of about 10 years, we did many, many regressions. Uh, I met him when he was a man. and He was a man when he did the regressions, but he did a lot of regressions to his childhood experiences aboard the UFO. And from a pretty young age, probably about age four or so, the beings would stand him up in front of what seemed to be a big column, a big, it was actually a big beam of blue light that ran from the bottom floor right through the middle floor where he was and up to the top floor of the spaceship. And he would stand there with beings right there reading his thoughts, watching him and reading his thoughts. And he was learning how to fly the ship with his thoughts only. They always told him, don't ever touch the blue beam. It huh. would be too powerful in terms of energy. It would harm him terribly. So don't ever touch it, but stand near it, you know, a foot or so away from it and project your thought, your thinking. So think forward, back, up, down, tilt, circle, whatever, you know, he wanted the ship to do. And it took years and years and years for him to do that with the beings right there, staring at his head and reading his thoughts. So whenever his thought would waver a little bit, like I wonder how much longer I have to do this, <laughs> or whatever the thought was, and say, no, back, back to the beam, back to the direction you want. And um, so they, there's no way he could cheat <laughs> with That's his right. thoughts because they knew everything that he was thinking. Anyway, he did grow up, that boy did grow up to be a big, burly, grown man and was taken occasionally to fly the spaceship with his mind only. So that was very exciting. That's uh, cool. Really, really glad that that uh, he found out that he could really do that. So um, do you have any other questions? That, uh, Anybody in the chat room have questions? This is all fascinating. I mean, you know, it's, it's, but like I said, I think it sounds to me like, like it's, I'm not going to say a setup, but, but I mean, it's, it's a bit, it's a precursor to first contact, you know, first contact here on earth. Yeah. I mean, they made first contact, but I mean, first contact with everybody else, because if, if a majority of the population is used to being around them and used to working with them, then it's not going to be a, you know, it's not going to be a scary thing because, you know, they're going to convince the other people, Hey, you know, these guys are okay. Yes, and that is a very big motivation for our doing this book, ET Kids Races, to show that 
Um, even though, you know, many people are very frightened by these things, which I certainly appreciate, but that the beings, so many of them are incredibly good mm -hmm. and very caring about humanity. They're very benevolent beings. In fact, a lot of them have been described by people who experience them as being unconditionally loving. So when you think about the big, tall, thin mantis beings, right. huge eyes that seem to wrap around the side of their heads. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they could be kind of scary looking. Yeah. A great big bug. As one of my women, I did many regressions where she said, oh yeah, I was taken by the big bug again. But he turned out to be, she realized, over years and many regressions to many experiences that this big praying mantis being was totally loving. Absolutely wonderful. She felt more love from him than from her parents, her grandparents, her siblings, her husband, her children. Um, you know, she had all those life experiences too, but she felt more love from this one big praying mantis being. And he was often the one who came and took her from about age four, and we think was her earliest experience. Mm -hmm. Oh, I need to mention, I think this is really quite amazing, that some children are taken at extremely young ages the youngest one I ever knew about from my work was a man who had a visit from an extraterrestrial being while he was still in his mother's womb. Really? He was a developing fetus. And he probably was about seven or eight months along in the womb, uh, but definitely before, you know, considerably before birth. And so in the regression, uh, he was sort of sloshing around. He was describing the environment he was in. It was sort of dark, and yet there was a little bit of light. And he was, it felt like warm fluid. And, and there was this warm rhythmic sound, which turned out to be the mother's heartbeat, and some gurgles, which were probably happening in her intestines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we realized after a while that he must be describing being in his mother's womb, and, and indeed he was. And on one occasion in the mother's womb, he felt a lot of heat coming through the mother's abdomen and through to the uterus and into him. And it felt really, really good. It was, seemed to be right in the, the middle of his body. Of course, all curled up, you know, as a fetus. And then he heard, probably in his mind, mm -hmm. heard a voice of a male saying, uh, don't worry about this heat. This is good. You have a... a drastic problem. You have a congenital 
hole in your heart. And if you were born with this hole, you will not be able to live. You will, you will die really quickly. Your heart will be, you know, spilling out blood and it, it will end your life. Mm -hmm. So I am here to put an invisible electromagnetic strip over the hole in your heart. These are very distinct words from this being. Okay, so the baby was born and lived and wow. grew up and we had we did regressions to quite a number of his childhood years, different ages each time. And each time he was taken as a child, he was put on a medical table with the same being whom we got to know quite well and like very much. He was a, a gray being who was probably about five foot seven, not one of the really short ones. And he mm -hmm. had eyes that had different facets. He, my, my client called them the man with the beveled eyes. <laughs> and they looked like beveled crystal like sure. in a chandelier. And, um, so, and, and the, the being gave him his name, which happened to be Mazu. And um, so every time the little boy was taken, one year after the other, after the other, uh, he met with the same being, Mazu, and he said, I am refurbishing the invisible electromagnetic strip over the hole in your heart. Wow. So this little boy was able to grow up, grew up to be six foot four, broad shoulders, burly, strong, and did physical labor for most of his adult life. Um, and was able to keep living because he had that invisible electromagnetic strip over the hole in his heart. And then in wow. his late late forties, they actually detected a heart problem here on the earth and he was taken into heart surgery mm -hmm. and his wife happened to be a surgical nurse so she got permission to be right there in the operating room mm -hmm. with him during the surgery so she was there to witness that the doctor after opening up his chest to do the heart surgery the doctor exclaimed in amazement wow, this man has a hole in his heart the size of a silver dollar. I don't see how he's lived this long. Now, that means, we think, that the hole was still there, but there was this invisible electromagnetic strip over the hole in his heart, mm -hmm. keeping the blood in. So the doctor did regular heart surgery, still amazed. I mean, how wonderful that the wife happened to be there to witness that. That's, that's, that's in the wonderful. surgery. Wow. Yeah, wow, so wow, he wow. was, you know, cured uh, in the way that we humans do it. But that's all of that work had been done um, all of those years right? Um, since before birth. And then there are babies who, um, are newly born in a hospital nursery and you know usually they're given 
to the mother for a little while and they're taken back and put in the nursery, maybe in an incubator or just another nice, warm, cozy environment with a light on it, very typically, mm -hmm. um, as we do with our newborns. And that into the uh, nursery room will come a being or two or three beings and make any personnel in that room switched off, not aware of them at all, mm -hmm. not harm, but just not aware. And then they'll take the baby for a while, presumably to a spaceship and, and then return the baby and then the personnel in the nursery will kind of come to as if they're waking up. Oh, I must have dozed off. <laughs> and of course, there's a period of time missing. So these experiences can happen for children when very, very, very young. That's, that's yeah. incredible. And then continue through childhood and through the whole life. That's incredible. Like I have a question from Marisa, who says, "Do any of the children ever try to invite a friend? I guess, I guess to go to go aboard the, the craft." <laughs> oh, what a great question! Um, yes, well, I know of of one family where one brother was taken, and the other brother really wanted to be taken because the first brother loved his space friends so much and and really considered his trips on the UFO to be great adventures. And um, and the brother never got to experience that. And so very often in the morning, the one who was taken would say at breakfast, oh, I got to go with my express friends again last night. It was so much fun. And they let me sit on the lap of one of them and then let me fly a ship. And um, well, I'm sure he didn't really fly it, but they made him think he was flying. And uh, anyway, it was great fun. And then the other one would be so envious, the other brother, because he didn't get to have those adventures. Uh, so, but, um, and the one who was taken asked the beings if they would take his brother on another time, uh, but they never did, as far as he knows. Yeah. I wonder why. I wonder why it's just certain people. I, I know, like, like you say, a lot, a lot of it's within families, but it's it's certain family members, and I wonder if it's just the genetics makeup of the, you know, of that particular person. Well, yeah, uh, I think it is the genetic makeup, and maybe that particular child has more of that genetic makeup than the other family members do. Mm -hmm. Now, this brings up the subject of hybrids, okay. ET human hybrids. Um, many people are uh, a mixture. Uh, they, they are mostly human and they live here amongst us. And, uh, but they do have um, a good portion of extraterrestrial genetics in them, usually from a variety of, of extraterrestrial species, not just from one species. So the hybrid children are of great interest uh, to the extraterrestrials who help to make them be hybrids, give mm -hmm. them their DNA. And so 
they are taken for a whole lifetime of experiences with the extraterrestrials. And those hybrids I have written about in a book uh, with Miguel Mendonca, co-author, and that's called Meet the Hybrids. And this is about eight human beings who are hybrids because they have substantial amount of extraterrestrial DNA, each one from um, a, a variety of extraterrestrial species. Might be three different species or four or five or six with some of them. And um, so they, they were born here on Earth, but either uh, they were hybridized by their being created as, a, as an embryo by the extraterrestrials mm -hmm. who took eggs from the mother, sperm from the father, and then mixed it with their material, genetic material, creating an embryo. And then after that was done, the embryo was implanted in the human mother. Mm -hmm. And she carried that baby full term and gave birth to that baby the way that we all do that. And another method is that uh, the human mother is already pregnant from the human father. And at about six or seven months into the pregnancy, she will be taken on board and injected with extraterrestrial DNA you know, through like a hypodermic needle or, you know, a syringe through the wall of her abdomen and the wall of the uterus and into the growing fetus. So that by the time that fetus is full term and born, that fetus is already hybridized. And so they look like regular people and they may have different features. Each one of the eight had something a little bit different than the rest of us. Like one had a different kind of musculature that was weaker than most of our muscles. One had a different blood type. One had a different bone consistency. One had different thumbs. They sort of flare out wider at the end of the thumb. And um, one man, hybrid, had an internal organ, uh, like the appendix, I believe it was. It's usually fairly low down in our abdomens. That was mm -hmm. up in his chest. Um, so they, they, they can have different physiological features like that, but not features that would show that anybody would think, oh, what a weird looking person. No, they, mm -hmm. they just look like regular people, but they do have extraterrestrial DNA and many, many visits with the kinds of beings who gave them their DNA, have lifelong visits with them. And they're very, very friendly, positive visits. Uh, these hybrids are delighted to see their extraterrestrial beings and they feel like they are more of their real family, their true family, than their human family feels like to them. So there are children who are, some children who are involved in that whole 
process as well of, of being hybrids. Probably most children around the world who have these experiences with the being um, probably, uh, I'm, I'm making a guess here, right. educated guess, but uh, they probably are not hybrids. Right. Right. Probably if they have childhood experiences, it seems like from what we know that they will continue to have experiences through their adult lives. And I don't know how old um, the oldest experiencer is. Mm -hmm. In other words, I don't know if there's a cutoff age when a person isn't taken by the beings for these experiences, um, that it could be. But I've also known with some people that they seem to be uh, taken for certain reasons when they're younger adults. And then as they get to be older adults, in other words, past childbearing age, that seems to be a demarcation point, um, when they're past that age, they might be still taken, but more for being given information mm -hmm. or being taught other skills, like how to heal other people mm -hmm. back here, that bring those healing skills back here. And children are very often taught how to heal others and will come back. And if they see a wounded animal, they'll pick up the animal and, and, and just go right into healing it. Mm -hmm. And if the parent says, how did you know how to do that? That's amazing. That little puppy or cat or whatever is, is thriving again. How did you know? And then they say, oh yeah, well, I learned it from my space friends. They teach us those things. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? I love to bring out these things because I think that there's so much news, uh, hearsay out there mm -hmm. that the beings are negative, they're frightening, and they're negative and do terrible, terrible things. And we do hear a lot about that. Right. And, um, it's time, I think, that uh, we realize that there are are many wonderful beings who are doing extremely helpful things, mm -hmm. even things that we cannot do. And they they do that with, you know, getting nothing really in return for it. And some of the beings really want us humans to know about them. You know, we, we hear about how they kind of clandestinely come into a room at night take the person away, whether it's a child or adult or whatever. Um, and they, you know, make anybody else in the vicinity totally unaware, switched mm -hmm. off. So that, that seems quite subversive, you know, secretive. Right. Sneaky. <laughs> but, um, and, and, and in a sense it is, but yet, what we haven't realized for the most part, I think, is all the good things that happen in those experiences. And I have 
certainly found out from one client why they make people be unable to move when they come to take a person away to the spaceship. Because one woman I worked with and had done many, many regressions with, with many extraterrestrial experiences, she got to a point after about nine or 10 years of working on this now and then, um, she got to a point where she wanted to have an experience of being taken by the beings and be allowed to be able to move and able to be consciously aware of the whole experience. She felt she was ready for that mm -hmm. and could trust that. So in her mind, uh, when she was going to sleep one night, she just kept sending out that thought to the beings whom she could picture because they had taken her so many times already and asked them, please let me be conscious and awake and aware right through the whole experience the next time you come. And so they did come shortly after that and take her and she thought, oh good, good, I'm, I'm awake, I'm, I'm aware of all this. And they levitated her up off the bed, as they typically do. And she kind of, since she could move, she looked around and looked down and realized she was probably about six feet up over the bed and starting to move, be moved over the floor. And she panicked, uh. as, as probably any of us would. And she started flailing around, kicking her arms and legs around. And they immediately <clears throat> wrapped her like a cocoon with what she described as a netting, similar in a way to fish netting that we would know about, but it was right. their netting. They wrapped her like a cocoon and then continued levitating her, floating her across the room and through the wall into a beam of light up into a spaceship. And they said, as they were wrapping her, she was still in the room. They said, well, we thought this would probably happen. So we came prepared because we don't want you to injure yourself by flailing around like that or to injure us. So they contained her, you know, like, like in a cocoon, took her onto the spaceship, stood her up, and then unfurled the netting so she didn't have to have that on her anymore and she stayed calm and that turned out to be an incredibly wonderful experience because another being was there who was absolutely radiating light and love the most loving being uh, he he said, the being said he was from the 11th dimension and was visiting for a brief while. Anyway, it was an incredible experience. But so we learned from that experience that they make us be immobilized and unable to call out or, or rash or pray, right. pray around um, so, so that we won't injure ourselves or injure them oh my during the process. But once you're there, 
you know, you're okay. You're not going to be flailing around right. anymore. Yeah, so they, right. they took it off. So very, very interesting, I think. Oh, my gosh. You know, we've been on here an hour and a half. Wow. <laughs> you are just so great to talk to and listen to, you know? Yeah. Oh, great. I would like to get you back on another day if, 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 you'll, if you'll work with me on that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, sure. this was great. Everybody in the chat room loved you. I mean, you're just, you're terrific to talk to. And, uh, you know, it's been too long since we talked the last time. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's anyway. lots to say about this whole phenomenon. So many different aspects to it. And uh, we're, those of us who do this particular kind of work are learning all the time. I mean, I've been doing this, as I said, since 1991. And, um, Every every person who comes to me, they still are coming very frequently, um, still doing a lot of regressions, that everyone, every experience is different. Mm -hmm. uh, every extraterrestrial experience is different, has different features, different beings, uh, different things going on. And more and more, for the last couple of years, the adults whom I have been regressing to more recent experiences um, are given a lot of spiritual advancement, a lot of spiritual knowledge and uh, inspiration. And they, they really feel that they are developing in consciousness terrifically. And more and more people even though they go to extraterrestrial experiences mm -hmm. very often in these regressions, they're wanting to know what their own particular purpose is in being in this lifetime. And uh, that is coming up a lot in people's regressions. And very often they find out from the extraterrestrial beings that they have a special mission here on Earth in this lifetime. And the mission, very often, as part of it at least, has to do with acquainting people more with the totality of the physical universe, of the cosmos, mm -hmm. and of awareness of the various beings. There are so many many different kinds of beings uh, who interact with human beings. And then there must be probably millions of kinds of beings that don't come to Earth and, and don't right. pay attention to human beings. But at least we get more and more knowledge, a sense of knowing about many, many of these life forms as we continue to have these experiences. One thing so, I can it, say, from what I've been hearing from different experiencers, see, I, I finally said it, um, is the experiences are positive. Because like you say, there, there was such a thing going around where it was always negative, negative, negative. But I'm hearing, you know, the, the more people I talk to, the more the, the, the more are talking about positive experiences going out, you know, get me involved. I'm very glad to hear that because I, that certainly is my experience too. So um, at many of the UFO conferences that I've 
been to over the years, dozens and dozens and dozens, literally, and um, that I've been a speaker at. And also with many of them, I've led these big groups of experiencers. Mm -hmm. We call them experiencer support groups. So in addition to the people I actually regressed, I've heard testimonies from many other people about their extraterrestrial experiences. And um, it's very, very typical that when a person is beginning to realize at whatever age, beginning to realize that they've been having these encounters, they feel uh, fear about it because it's so strange and unknown. Mm-hmm. And we tend to fear what we don't know, you know, that we're really confused about, don't know what to expect. And so they typically will go from a newly aware person that they're having these experiences and feel a lot of fear about it. The more they know as time goes on about their experiences, the more comfortable they feel and even begin to recognize that uh, there's been a great benefit to them from having these experiences with these beings. So I, I think it's great that more and more of that is gradually coming out into awareness. I'm, I'm glad to hear uh, that you are hearing that too. Yeah, 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 yes. So how can people get a hold of you? Well, I think the best way is to go to my website, uh, which should be easy to remember. It's Barbara Lamb Regressions.com. Barbara Lamb Regressions with an S at the end.com. And on the website, well, it's got quite a a number of interesting features, including uh, some of my earlier lectures and or interviews and um it also has a feature where you can type in like you would type in an email and my website will automatically send that to my emails so i'll get the emails uh i don't have to find them on the website they'll be actually sent so again barbara lamb regressions.com is the website. What about and, your books? I know you have a few books out too. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the book Kids Adventures with ET Friends in Space. We just call it ET Friends for short. Um, that can be uh, bought um, on my website if you want a signed copy. Uh, I just sent one off today like that. Um, or it can be bought very easily on Amazon. And by the way, on the Amazon page, we have some wonderful reviews done by people who bought the book and and read it. Some of them are experiencer people. Some of them are not, but they've learned so much and feel that it's of great value. Uh, So anyway, that's you can check it out by looking at the reviews if you wish to. And then I have other books as well. I have yes. the hybrids about the ET human hybrids that was uh, published in 2015. 
And then I have a book called Alien Experiences, 25 Cases of Adults' Experiences from my regression practice. And then before that, uh, in the year 2000, I published a book on the crop circle phenomenon called Crop Circles Revealed. So along with this extraterrestrial work, I've had the great pleasure of going to England for crop circle research every summer for 27 years. Wow. Couldn't go a couple of years ago because of uh, moving from mm-hmm. one house to another whole place to San Diego. And, um, and then of course COVID set in and uh, but anyway the crop circle phenomenon is still happening still still a wonderful thing going on all over the earth as extraterrestrial encounters are happening all over the earth we live in an amazing universe <laughs> and this is a remarkable time mm-hmm. that we're living in and i think it's just great that more and more of this information is coming into our awareness. I think we we expand, we grow uh, when we take in these other considerations and realizations. Very, very inspiring. Yes, it's an exciting time. It's very exciting. Thank yeah. you so much. I'm just so glad you came on. And again, I don't want to wait another five, ten years to talk to you again. Okay. We don't have to. No. Because you're so fun to talk to and, and, and you're and it's just it's just I learned so much from you and you know. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well All thank, right. you. Thanks you, thank you so much for coming. I know you came on last minute for me too, because I had I, I had a cancellation and then you jumped right in there to come on. So I really appreciate that. So oh, thank yeah, you so great. much. That was wonderful. Serendipity. All right, ma'am. Thank you. Many blessings to you and to all of your listeners. You too, ma'am. Have a good day. Bye. Okay. Sorry I cut you off. Didn't mean to. (laughs) I hit the button too fast. I'm really sorry about that, guys. Um, Thank you to Barbara. I'm really excited that Barbara came on, and I can't wait to speak with her again at some point. Um, I didn't mean to cut her off. I hope she can hear me. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, um, we got a great guest for shift off to tomorrow, and tomorrow's going to be more um, interesting. It's going to be an interesting day, evening. I have a, psych- a, a psychologist coming on, and he has done research in um, what they call sick houses, like houses, you know, high EMF kind of situations or mold or whatever's in the house, and and how that affects people's mental states, and and so affecting the mental states, it brings up their ability to be sensitive and, and, and see things like, like, like apparitions and stuff like that. And he's also done studies on, um, on children, especially autistic children. And I can tell you going out on investigations, we run into a lot of autistic children that see, that, that, that see things in their houses a lot more than, 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 than the children without the autism. So this should be an interesting discussion with him tomorrow night. His name is Michael Jower. And he'll be on tomorrow night. It, it, it'll be a phone interview, so you'll just have to look at me most of the time. But anyway, I want to thank Barbara again for coming. I'm just so excited to have her. And I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, that's all I can say right now. So, oh, yeah, and don't forget to share this show. 
If you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it with five people. Share it with your enemies. But, you know, we're always looking to grow, 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 and we are growing little by little, okay? And if you want to shoot us a, a, some 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 extra cash because all this comes out all this is non-profit coming out coming out of my pocket and uh, we'd like to keep this thing going you can donate to paypal.me at california haunts and uh, kind of give us some help anyway uh, also if you want to go to our youtube channel subscribe over there we're looking to get more subscribers and uh, build all this up and i want to thank again thank barbara and thank you guys for coming tonight and i will see you tomorrow okay so I'm going to tease. It's going to be a little bit of silence here before we get to the end for the people on the podcast. And this is just so that we can remind everybody uh, Barbara's website and also what, what books she has out and where to get them.